Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Have you ever wondered what God is like, or what Jesus was all about, or how you get saved, and what getting saved means anyway? Well, if you've ever felt embarrassed to ask, please don't. I really want to help you understand our big, amazing God. And a great place to start is a little book that I wrote called The Basics. God, You, Jesus, and Faith. And here's more good news. If you're always on the go and don't have time to read, you can now listen to The Basics as a podcast series. Just search for The Basics with Pastor Mike Novotny wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's estimated that roughly 80% of New Year's resolutions fail within one month. And that by the end of the calendar year, only 8% of New Year's resolutions will have been kept, which means that if you haven't yet broken whatever promise you made to yourself at the beginning of this new year, you probably will. This week, we're going to be talking about promises, promises that we make, promises that we keep, and promises that we believe as we go through life. And today, I'd like to start by sharing an illustration about all the promises made about Jesus in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were over 300 promises made about the Messiah who was to come, promises about where he would live and what he would do and what kind of person he would be like. And keeping all of those promises would be very difficult for anyone. I want you to imagine a pile of quarters, about two feet deep, covering the entire state of Texas. And imagine that you take one of those quarters in that pile, you take it out and you put an X on it, and then you toss the quarter back into the pile, right in the middle, and then you mess the whole thing up and you stir the whole thing up so you have no idea where it is. The odds that one person could keep every one of those 300 promises in the Old Testament are roughly the same as you putting your hand into that pile, pulling out one quarter, and that one quarter being the one that has the X on it, and doing that on the first try. But that's what Jesus did in keeping all those 300 promises. And God didn't have to make all those promises. He could have made just one and sent Jesus and that would have been enough. But the reason God wanted to make all of those promises is because he wanted to put his reputation on the line. And the reason he wanted to put his reputation on the line is because he wanted you to know that you have a God who is reliable as you go through life. That's what it means in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when it says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. In other words, if God makes a promise, no matter how unbelievable it may seem at the time, you can count on it. Carl Lewis is one of the best sprinters in the history of the world. He won his first 100-meter dash Olympic gold medal in 1984 at the Summer Olympics. Three years later, in 1987, his father died. And at his father's funeral, he took the 100-meter dash gold medal that he had won in 1984. He put it in his father's casket because he wanted to bury it with his father. Carl's mom didn't know if that was such a great idea because she knew how much the medal meant to him. But Carl looked at his mom and said, Mom, I promise I'll win another. And so the 1988 Summer Olympics took on special significance for Carl. Not only was his title of the world's fastest man on the line, but so was the promise that he had made to his mom. And he trained harder than he ever had for that race. He ran the fastest time he had ever run, but he still finished second. He lost to a sprinter from Canada named Ben Johnson. But three days later, Ben Johnson tested positive for steroids and the gold medal was taken from Ben Johnson and given to Carl Lewis, who then kept the promise that he had made to his mom, but not before being reminded that no matter how great the promises are that we make, no matter how hard we work to keep them, challenges and sometimes significant challenges try to stop them from happening. And sometimes they succeed. That's why marriages fail. 
It's why your heart is sometimes full of guilt. It's why relationships end up broken, not because we go up against guys like Ben Johnson, but because every day we go up against Satan and his subtle temptations. And sometimes they win. Each one of us is proof that it's hard to keep a promise. But it was hard for Jesus too. It was hard to hang on a cross. It was hard to have his back ripped open with a whip. It was hard to keep his promise to love you and forgive you, but he did. And if he kept that promise, though it was so hard, you can be confident that he will also keep this one the next time you find yourself competing against a temptation. From 1 Corinthians chapter 10, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. How do you deal with guilt over promises that you break? A little over a year ago, a woman named Freya was driving in her car when she went speeding through a red light at 40 miles an hour and hit a man who was riding on his bike. The man's name was David and the collision tore through his spine and left him without any ability to move his legs. For Freya, that was the first day in over a year in which she had not taken her bipolar meds, which she had promised to take every day. And as a result, she said just before she went through that intersection, she heard what sounded like a million manic voices all screaming at the same time in her head. And as she was listening to that, suddenly David's face was on her windshield. She stopped her car, ran out of the car and was screaming, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, over and over again and again. A couple of months later, later, Freya's heart stopped for a few minutes because of a heroin overdose. She started taking heroin after the accident because it helped her forget. It helped her pretend that what had happened wasn't reality, but of course she knew she couldn't just pretend. She couldn't just erase her past. That was a hard place that Freya thought she would never be able to escape from. And maybe you know that feeling. She eventually had a day in court. And on the first day in court, after the judge sat down, a man in the back of the room uh, that Freya had never before seen walked up to the front and asked the judge if he could say something. The judge allowed him to, and then he pointed at Freya and said, this woman significantly injured my son. And my son couldn't be here today. But he wanted her and the judge and the prosecution to know that he holds no ill will against the woman who hurt him. And then he walked over to Freya, gave her a hug, and said, my son couldn't be here today, but he wanted you to know that he already forgave you on the day of the accident. The judge was so moved by what he had said that eventually the charges against Freya were dismissed. And why were they dismissed? Not because she was able to erase her past, but because the person she hurt forgave it. And that, my friends, is a secret to dealing with your guilt over your broken promises. It is remembering that in Christ Jesus, God has done the same thing for you. In the book of Zechariah, we see a man named Joshua standing in front of God waiting to be judged. And Joshua is wearing filthy rags. The filthy rags represent the filthy mistakes of his past. And standing there, he couldn't remove them. He couldn't get rid of them, though he wanted to. But God could do something with them. And it says, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. God removed Joshua's filthy rags for him and replaced them with clean garments that didn't have a single stain on it. It's a picture of what he did for you. When he took your sins away from you, covered Jesus with them, and then punished him on a cross as if he were the one guilty of everything. At the cross, God removed your sins. He took them away. 
and then covered your weak, vulnerable, naked, sinful shame with Christ Jesus' own perfection and promised that he would always look at you that way. And if God looks at you that way, you can too. The mistakes that we make are real, but we don't define ourselves by them. By the grace of God, we get to define ourselves entirely by how Jesus lived and what Jesus did on that cross. The Green Bay Packers are a professional football team and they are just about finished with a massive building project in which they are developing about 30 acres of land right outside their stadium to make a large entertainment district for their fans. It's taken a lot of money, a lot of manpower, and a lot of heavy duty machinery to get it done, but after about two years, they're nearly there. I bring that up because I want to compare it to a different 30-acre building project in the Bible. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah and his men made a promise that they were going to rebuild the wall outside the city of Jerusalem, and that was about 30 acres. Now, they didn't have as much money as the Green Bay Packers or as many men. They certainly didn't have the heavy-duty machinery that they had, and they kind of had to work with almost like one hand tied behind their back. I mean, some of the men literally did work with one hand while holding a sword in the other hand as they had to fight off the enemies who were coming to attack them. But eventually they did finish their project, not in two years, but in 52 days. 52 days. And how did that happen? Because when the project began, Nehemiah prayed. He said, Dear Lord, strengthen my hands. And you might know that the only reason a man will pray for strength is if he recognizes that he is weak. And Nehemiah did. He recognized that he needed help, just like we recognize we do with the number of promises that we break as, as we go through life. But he recognized that he needed help, so he prayed for strength from someone who had both hands tied down on a cross and still overcame the same enemies of sin and death and Satan that, that we go up against every day. A God who used a cross and some nails and an empty grave to prove that his promises to love his church and care for his people they will never fail and his purposes will always prevail. And sometimes amazingly, Nehemiah and his men accomplished their goal in 52 days. They trusted God and they did something nobody would have seen coming. What might we see in your life if you do the same thing? What might your future look like in, in your work, in your family, in your marriage, in your ministry? Only God knows. But he wants you to know a promise that you can live with every day in your present. A promise that Nehemiah no doubt was familiar with from Isaiah 41. For God says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God will do those things while you simply get to anticipate more strength to keep your promises. When Martin was 12 years old, he became sick with cryptococcal meningitis and slipped into a coma. He couldn't, he couldn't move, he couldn't speak, he couldn't do anything. Doctors said that he wasn't likely to make it very long. But after 12 years, 12 years of being in a coma, he woke up. He got his life back again. He eventually got married and he became a motivational speaker and he's doing pretty well. But after he woke up, he told his family and his friends that while he was in the coma, at least for the last eight years of it, he could hear them and he could feel everything, which was pretty significant. Most days he spent in the care of a, a nursing care facility, and most days they would just wheel his wheelchair right in front of the television. He'd be forced to listen to Barney the Purple Dinosaur, which was a lot better than what he experienced under the care of some of the workers who were there, workers who would frequently pull him by the hair to, uh, to yank him around in his wheelchair, or workers who would take out their frustrations on him, yelling at him or, or kicking him because they thought that he didn't notice and it, and it wouldn't matter. Uh, 
he could he could feel and he could hear everything but he was in a coma he couldn't just choose to walk away from them but god could choose to walk away from us he could he didn't have to send jesus into a world that is so blind to who god is that it didn't even recognize their creator when he was standing there in the flesh right in front of them a world that that god knew was was eventually going to rip off that flesh and pound nails in it and crucify him. God had a choice and he chose to send Jesus and Jesus chose to go through all of that pain because they wanted you to know that no matter how reliable you have or have not proven to be with the promises of your love to him, that you can always count on the promise of his love for you. Jeremiah chapter 31 says this, says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He has, and he promises that he always will.